0: Alright, so I'll just. Uh, we're going through, obviously, what the scriptures say about the heart. Does anyone want to try and sum up what heart, or whole, or all of what we've gone through so far? I see Tiffany shaking his head. <laughs> That's not Um so yeah, we're we're looking at what the Bible says about the heart, and it's the heart is not how we think about the heart uh, usually in our culture. Uh, it's really broken up into three parts, and if you ha- remember the handout, which I oh we I, th- I think we have more of the, those over there. If you want one, there's the mind, the desires, and the will, and all of those are talking about different parts of the heart. And uh, what we are doing is we're defining it looking at how sin has affected it, and then looking at how Christ is redeeming it through his three mediatorial offices. And um, a few weeks ago, we went over sin, uh, how sin, generically speaking, affects the mind, and we looked at the particular word sin in that, which means to fall short, to miss the mark. Uh, And Chris talked about how this is not a almost falling short. It's far off missing the mark, <clears throat> and uh, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so today, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at desires, what it is that we love, which is how we don't usually think about the heart. So today we're going to be looking about, about um, how sin affects our heart, our desires. So, again, going back to this. The word that the Bible usually uses uh, to speak about kind of this whole subject is iniquity, and iniquity means uh, ha- has two different meanings. Kind of, it can mean to. Uh, oh yeah, he had a, Dr. Trucks had a good way of doing it. He likes alliteration. Apparently, uh, it can be either crooked or corrupt. Um, <clears throat> and crooked, that means something good has become perverted, right, into something evil. Was once straight, has now been contorted. It Was once the truth, has now been shaped into a lie or vice versa. Um, that's, that's how we love how crooked is used in this sense with iniquity, or iniquity is used in the sense of crooked. Sorry. And then uh, corrupt, we're talking about something that has been made unclean. Something has been polluted. Sin will soil what is pure. It can take what is beautiful in a holy sense and make it ugly. It violates the innocent and scandalizes what is decent. And the word that we have for, the Hebrew word that we have for iniquity is used uh, about 213 times in the Old Testament, according to Dr. Troxell. And there's a Greek equivalent, and it's used in this, it's not always used for iniquity, but or for this type of crooked or or, uh, corrupt definition. But when it does, it's used about 24 times uh, in the New Testament. So let's look at the iniquity of sin, how sin can be something that's crooked or corrupt. And uh, we're going to start out by looking at a few Proverbs. Would someone be willing to look up uh, Proverbs 11.20? Please. Proverbs eleven twenty.
1: You ready? Yep. Okay. Um, Proverbs eleven twenty. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of a blameless way are His delight.
0: So, what do we see as being crooked in, in this?
1: Example? Well, it's a Rough. crooked heart, which we've talked a lot about the heart being more, it's your inner, your innermost thoughts, your innermost desires. Yes.
0: But yeah, it can also be affected in this crooked way too, this twisted way. And then uh, someone look up Proverbs 2.15.
2: men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Uh, So we can see here that, yeah, our hearts can be crooked is what
0: Mark was reading, but then that leads to uh, paths being crooked, what we're walking. Um, I'll go ahead and read Proverbs 19.1. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Um, It's contrasting with the person who walks in his integrity, right? Who doesn't give in to his desires when the people aren't looking. We kind of think about integrity, right? They're the same for the people are looking or not. Um, But uh, this person is the one who's crooked in speech and uh, is a fool. So someone who's crooked in part, and it can lead to being crooked in their path or in their speech. They're basically not walking the walk or talking the talk either one. Uh, So sin sin can be crooked, right? And we can see this in the New Testament in uh, Jude uh, 4. Jude 4 says, uh, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So uh, how do you see the crookedness there? That was in Jude 4.
1: They pervert the grace of God into sensuality.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, they're taking what... God has meant for good, and they're twisting it, right? Making it crooked. And, uh, and you can see throughout this whole book, too, that, yeah, they're perverting it for their sensuality, right, to give in to their desires, and uh, this whole book talks about that. Uh, we see this, uh, Romans, uh, let's see, I remember the, Dr. Truxel mentions uh, Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Again, That that word unrighteousness there is that actually that New Testament word for iniquity. That's exactly what they're doing. Romans 6 is that chapter that's talking about, you know, don't continue in sin, that grace may increase. But they're taking the good, the grace that God has given. They're twisting it to give into their desires. Uh, And then 2 Peter 3.16. That's 2.16, that's why I'm not seeing that, right? Uh, This is talking about Paul's letters. um, And uh, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So we've looked at sin as missing the mark. But we can see also in these different passages how sin is not just missing a mark, but it's taking something that is good and it's twisting it. It's perverting it. Um, but iniquity doesn't just refer to uh, perversion. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention, I guess, you'll see this in different passages, but uh, Deuteronomy especially, Deuteronomy 16, 19, 24, 17, those verses talk about how, um, the, uh, you're not supposed to pervert justice. You shall show no partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. Or you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. Again, twisting it. But you can see also where the desire's are coming in too. Sin has a twisted nature, but it's kind of connected to the desires where they're going after these things that uh, these people who are helpless against injustice without our God So they can take those. But it's not just crookedness; it's also corruption. It's uncleanness. Uh, Very well-known passage. Would someone be willing to read Isaiah six, five through seven?
2: And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He said through six or seven, I'm sorry. Uh, two, seven. Okay. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So
0: where do we see the idea of corruption in this?
1: Well, I mean, it's talking about a man with unclean lips. And yeah. so it, it's our speech, what's coming out of us is unclean.
3: Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, it's not just that sin, again, is missing the mark, or it's even twisting things. It's made him unclean. And I um, had you read through verse 7. I, I'm guessing your translation said uh, your guilt is removed or something like that. But uh, Dr. Troxel mentions that that word guilt there is actually the, the Hebrew word for iniquity. Um, so his uncleanness has been removed. Uh, this is a real problem that sin brings. The twistedness that needs to be straightened out. And the pollution that needs to be cleansed. Uh, Joshua twenty two seventeen. 17. It talks, and this is uh, when there's some confusion between the different tribes. Some tribes are saying, hey, we want to land on this side of the Jordan as opposed to the other side of the Jordan, if I remember rightly. Um <clears throat> I, could, I might be missing the context there. Um, but uh, anyways, there's confusion as to whether some tribes are maybe turning away from, from God. And they say, have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord? Um, hopefully you all remember that. We've been reading through Numbers, and that was um, after Balaam was supposed to curse them. Uh, the, uh, they're enticed by the Moabite women, and uh, they give into idolatry. Uh, but, but yeah, it says, uh, "Have we not had enough of the sin at for which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves?" Again, there's just a sense that the sin has come in and and made them filthy. Um, we could probably talk about. Their misconception about how they think they can cleanse themselves from the sin. Um, next week we'll talk about how Jesus cleanses us. But uh, but yeah, it, they they recognize at least the problem. Sin has come in and has made them unholy, unclean. In Leviticus. 18, uh, 24 to 25, he's saying, you know, don't do any of these things when you go into the land that the nations have been doing. So he says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all of these, the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became a queen, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited up its inhabitants. Uh, again, recognizing how sin has corrupted them. It's not just corrupted the people, though. It's even corrupted the land in one sense. Um, we don't always know exactly what that means, but uh, there is a real sense where uh, sin twists, corrupts, not just people, but creation to them. Any questions so far? And I apologize for not having more questions for you all. Of course, one of the most important passages in the Old Testament that speaks about sin is uh, Psalm 51. And if someone will be willing to read a few verses from Psalm 51, um, let's see... Verses 1 and 2, and then
1: 7 through 10. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And then 7 through 10. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me.
0: Thank you. So uh, where do we see the idea of corruption in these verses?
1: Well, it's in a heart. I mean, if he needs to create in us a new heart, okay. that means that we don't have one. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's very good. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that really does kind of sum it up. Um, it's affected his whole being, though. He sinned. And uh, he needs to be washed thoroughly from his iniquity throughout his whole being, right? Cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be white in snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Um, This is, of course, after uh, Nathan has come to David to confront him about sin with Bathsheba. And uh, this is a sin where he broke the law, right? He transgressed. Um, he also missed the mark. But he's not just talking about these issues. He does talk about those issues in here. Again, he recognizes the uncleanness uh, that is it, it has been made there uh, through his sinning. Um, obviously, Psalm 51 is a great example of what confession should look like. It's not the only example we have. Um, but uh, but yeah, when we go to God in prayer, it's good to remember that uh, all these areas we've been affected by sin, but that he is a competent savior, which is what we're going through also in this. Um, and just a reminder, I don't believe this is a lesson plan for the whole class. We'll have a few lessons beyond this. Um But yeah, he's a competent savior who can save us in our mind, our desires, and our will. Uh, All of the places where sin affects us. So we've kind of seen then how sin is crooked. It is corrupt. But let's look then at our desires specifically. Uh, If you remember last week, we talked about how desires in and of themselves are not necessarily sinful. Um, in our context, in our cultural context, we usually think of them as good overall. Right? Uh, the mantra of Disney and of our culture in general is follow your heart. You know, what is it that you love? What you desire? Let's go after that. Um, but there are some pagans and Christians who think that oh no no all desires are bad and like, let's just shut ourselves off from all desires and, and not give, not, uh, because they're all bad, they're all suspect. Uh, and the Bible doesn't speak of desires in that way as we were looking at that two weeks ago, actually. Um, they can be both, uh, they can be good, but they can be corrupted or made crooked, right? Uh, but yeah, he, he, Dr. Troxel says our desires to excel, laugh, love, eat, and sleep—those aren't wrong things. We are tired and we desire to sleep. That's not a bad thing. But these desires become twisted when they are fueled by the wrong motives, for example, greed, used with the wrong purpose, fulfilled with the wrong person. Or enjoyed in wrong measure. It says wrong motives, purpose, person, or measure. And uh, then he has, I think, a fairly helpful way of summing this up. Our desires qualify as sinful when they are out of bounds or out of balance. So can anyone think of ways in which we, our desires, can be twisted like that, or be corrupt like that?
2: Phrase the question again.
0: Um, so how can our, can you think of examples of ways that our desires are out of bounds or out of balance, where we do have wrong motives or wrong,
1: uh... Well, I mean, just, uh, the concept of, or the, the, I can't tell you the reference, but the quote from the scripture of, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing, it's, I mean, we can still be desiring to do something that would be good, but... The wrong reason, if we're seeking to get glory out of it rather yeah. than serving, rather than helping. Um, or it just, I mean, we are selfish individuals. We are selfish beings uh, doing, it. it's so easy for us to do anything out of a desire for the self.
0: Yes. Any other thoughts? I, I, I'm sure there's many that, I know there's many, that we can think of. Um, I'll just go over one that Dr. Troxville uses, and that's just uh, the lights of food, right? Uh, he says, the power of its aroma and its delicious, savoring taste reflect our creator's beauty and his goodness to us. What God meant to sustain us can eventually destroy us if we twist a simple pleasure into an idolatrous pleasure. right? Um, doctor talks of course is say it much better than I can. But, but yeah, it's, we're taking something that's good or we're twisting it to sinful ends, selfish ends. Um, we can make it into an idolatrous pleasure where there's gratifying excessive self-indulgence, a disorder from inward securities, or an epicurean obsession. It can be a desire to consume, to escape, to appease our gnawing self, or to sculpt our body's tone. Uh, desires can be very strong, and they can, they can, we can give them power over us, and they can rule over us in one sense. Um, little uh, literary example that he threw in there was of uh, uh, Shiloh, and if you feel like the C- Cimmerillian, Angolian also really fits this uh, too. Uh, where they, they, their desire is, uh, in the Lord of the Rings, it's running, is just to, are these spiders and they just want to consume things. That's all they care about. They have this overwhelming lust, desire that just lots out everything else. There is nothing, um, it's a heart hunger. Uh, it is never
3: satisfied.
0: And uh, we see this too in Philippians 3.19, I've almost said it a couple times now, um, but Philippians 3.19, we'll go ahead and turn there real quick. So it's talking about people who um, are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Um, if you think of the belly as that place where our appetites are in some ways, like in that's our desires are, it's, it's almost a synonym here for the heart in that sense. Um, but, but their God is their their desires. And uh, we can see that all over our culture, kind of like what we were saying, like there is no desire that isn't worth pursuing. And it's something that we need to fight against. But uh, we're, we're guilty of it, too, at times. And um, and they glory in their shame. But our desires, they're, they're, they can be overwhelming. And when that happens, it affects how we think. Uh, this is a very famous passage. I, maybe someone can finish it. If I start, Jeremiah... 17.9 the heart is deceitful
1: of all things.
0: Yeah. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, it's deceitful. It deceives our desires. They deceive us when we try to think about what we know is true. Try to remember if I... I use this later. But yeah, so we'll look, so we've looked at desires generally speaking. I'm sorry, I don't have more verses to look at with that. But if we wish to, Dr. Toxel says, if we wish to speak of desire as the Bible does, we must speak in terms of what we love, what we truly, deeply, intensely, passionately love. Um, and he's talking about things that motivate us. Um, not just our emotions, though our emotions are connected to that. But what is it that we adore? What we live for? What we die for? What receives our best energy? Um, good example. I was really fighting with my desires last night because I kept wanting to think about the horrible K State loss that happened in football, <laughs> um, and I was like, no, I need to, I need to block that out and, and focus on. Uh, uh, coming to the Lord's Day, worshiping the Lord. Um, but it, it's not bad to love other things. But again, out of bounds or out of balance. Um, so what is it that we adore? And Matthew 6.21, again, a very famous verse, uh, says, uh, For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, you know, Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? Or moth and rust and thief can't destroy or steal. Um, but a lot of times we have treasures that are here on earth where moth, rust and thief can destroy or steal. Um, he has a great quote from Augustine here. Augustine recalled how twisted his heart had become that his heart sought sin, quote, having no inducement to evil but the evil itself. I loved my own error. Not that for which I erred, but the error itself, not seeking aught through the shame, but the shame itself. End quote. So what is Augustine loving in this passage?
2: some particular sin that he doesn't name, but.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's he has his desires, his treasure is a sin, and it's not even what he's getting out of the sin, it's the sin itself, he's saying. Um, so where, where is the chief problem in this?
1: Is it the object? I mean, the chief problem is it, it, sin within us. It, it's mm-hmm. our own hearts. It's our own sinful natures that we're fighting against.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a passage that can be misused at times, but it's still part of the scriptures and still a very good passage that speaks to this. Uh, James 1 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Um, there is that object that they're desiring, right? But the problem starts with the, the desire. Uh, the world oftentimes holds forth objects but... Uh, But we don't have to be tempted by them. We don't have to be lured and enticed by our own desire, right? Um, By God's grace. Not because of our own strength, necessarily. Um, Dr. Troxell has an amusing story uh, in this book. And you can probably think of other stories like this. Where he and his wife are going out to buy their first car. He says, I remember the salesman's first words after their test drive. Don't you love... The way the car handled, the way it drove, even the smell is great. I almost felt sorry for the guy with my deflating reply. The car is adequate for our needs. He's appealing to his desires, right? Like, oh, just, it smells great. Feel how it drives. He's like, you know, I've got a budget. We're wins. It's adequate. Um. Uh, But, uh, but yeah, it, it, the, when we think about, oh, we have to be careful of our desires, this is an area where we do have to be careful of our desires, because the heart is discolored. And the temptation, they really don't, of the world. they don't matter if the desires aren't there in one sense. Um, not that there can't be real pain. Jesus suffered in a real way. He was hungry when he was tempted in the wilderness. Um but yet, uh, the desire was not a sinful desire. And he didn't give it, he didn't let that come go out of balance. Or out of balance. Let's, uh, can someone read from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6? Should be very Anyone want to sum up what's going on here?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I would say the tree was to be desired, and it goes on about all the different ways it could be desired. And, yeah. I say, but it's she, she's giving into that desire, that lust of her heart. Yeah. I would say at that point sin had already entered. Yes.
0: Yeah. Actually, then she takes. And eats. Um. Let's look up another, any, any other thoughts before we, go on, sorry. Second um, Samuel, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. I'll go ahead and read that, but you might want to just, I don't, keep keep a finger maybe at Genesis 3 as you look there. Um, you won't necessarily hear about desires in this passage, but they're definitely there. And there's definitely some parallels to um, Genesis 3, 6, 6 also. So, Second Samuel 11, verses 2 through 4. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the grave a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of the the wife of Uriah, the Hittite?" So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him and he labored with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her cleanness, then she returned to her house. So, what parallels do you see between this and Genesis three verses?
3: I'm say, I
2: saw and I desired, so I took. It's again, something God created beautiful <laughs> and but it, good. Yeah. The the clear answer was it was sin to to do what he did. It was out of bounds, right? It was out of bounds, and that it wasn't his wife, and then she also was not clean. Yeah. So yeah. he broke two laws of the Lord in one.
3: She was what? She wasn't? It yeah. said she was purifying herself. So oh they God.
2: have seven days according to the purification that they can't yeah. yeah. So if she was in purification, then she. I've
0: I mean, thought about that before, but no, that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah. No. Again, transgressing the law of God but in a way where it's not just a transgression. It's not just missing the mark, But it's a way where the desires have been twisted. He's been made unclean. And a very uh, ceremonial, real ceremonial sense under the, the ceremonial law, too, here, you can point it out. And it's, again, taking what is good and, and twisting it. Um, I had not read this book at all before starting to prep for this lesson. And uh, one of the things I appreciate about Dr. Froxel is he seems to be a fan of a couple of things I'm a fan of, including J.R.R. Tolkien, um, <laughs> speaking of things we love. And uh, he has a couple of quotes, but he has a great example in here from Tolkien. And it's when uh, Pippin looks at the Palantir. Um And this is from a little bit later in the book when he's riding off with Gandalf um, after Pippin messed up so spectacularly, and Gandalf's been telling him all the things that he could have done wrong there, how it could have gone much worse. Pippin says, I wish I had known all this before. I had no notion of what I was doing. Oh yes, you had, said Gandalf. You knew you were behaving wrongly and foolishly, and you told yourself so, but you did not listen. But if I had spoken sooner, would not have lessened your desire or made it easier to resist. On the contrary, no, the burned hand teaches best. After that, advice about fire goes to the heart. Not always the best example for way way to parent, by the way, but uh, or teach. But um, but yeah, Pippin desired this thing. He knew it was wrong. He didn't know all the reasons why it was wrong, but those desires again were deceiving himself. They were overwhelming him, so that he went out, he saw it, he reached, desired it, reached out, and took okay. it. Same same thing. Uh-huh. This really cuts the quick here, uh, again from Augustine, who's so good on this subject. Uh, Augustine frankly admitted that there was a time when he could not sincerely pray for God's deliverance from a favored sinner. sin, so he prayed, quote, grant me chastity and continency, but not yet. For I was afraid lest thou shouldst hear me soon and soon deliver me from the disease of con- Sorry, never know how to say it. Which I desired to have satisfied rather than extinguished. He was afraid God would actually answer his prayer and take away his sinful desires. Um, so he said, "God, please take this away, but not yet, because those desires were what he loved. Where is his treasure? That's where his heart is also,
3: um,
0: and it's been twisted. It's been corrupted." Uh, Judges sixteen four. After this, this is speaking about Samson. He loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name is Delilah. And you think about the story of Samson and Delilah. Everything that happens, it's obvious Delilah is not someone who should be trusted. But why is it that he go he stays with her? over and over and over again it's because he loves her his desire has taken over he can't think straight in one sense Proverbs 7 we're not going to look at that but it's a passage about a foolish man who goes out walking where he shouldn't be and he's tempted by uh, this woman But uh, again, it's something where he should have known. He shouldn't have been there. Proverbs makes that fairly clear. Not there, not at that time of of night, right? And uh, she tempts him with his desires. But it isn't all just uh, what we love. Emotions are involved. Um, So we'll talk about motions next, but before we go, is there anything anyone wants to comment or ask? ask
3: Uh,
0: And we'll just look at a few passages really quick. Uh, Someone would be willing to look up 1 Samuel 16, 1, and someone else look up 1 Corinthians 5, verse 2. 1 Samuel 16, 1, 1 Corinthians 5, 2.
1: 1 Samuel 16.1 And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I rejected him from being the king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So what do we see about uh, Samuel's emotions there? He's grieving over Saul. He's grieving over Saul's sin as yes. his, uh, uh, I would say, uh, outright I guess betrayal or his his blatant sin yeah. in leading Israel.
0: And, and what does God say? Does God say that
1: uh, about this emotion? Well, he questions how long he's going to grieve. He doesn't say that the grief is wrong. Yes. Like, he questions how long he's going to yeah. grieve because, because, and he says, because I rejected him.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: it's, it was appropriate, in one sense, to grieve his fall. He was the Lord's But He's saying, it's at this point now, you're letting your emotions go too long. So there's a sense where the emotions are good, but they could be out of balance, or out of bounds to a certain extent. Or out of balance, I guess, would be here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 2.
2: and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And that's speaking of
0: the Corinthian church where they have a man who's committed gross sin in their their uh, congregation. And that's their response. So what, what does God say about this? Or, or?
1: Well, he's reprimanding them for not mourning over the sin. For yes. just letting it or me. Yeah.
0: They're, they're actually proud in one sense. They're, they're, they're rejoicing in one sense that, oh, see, when we have this great sinner, we're so forgiving. But it's like, no, you should be mourning over this. Um, Revelation 18, verse 9. This is speaking about Babylon when she falls. And the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. I
3: have Now, they're
0: not weeping and wailing because, you know, it's uh, sad that, you know, all these people have died, but because of what they've lost. This is where uh, they lived in luxury, right? With sexual immorality. And uh, they're mourning the loss of their sin and the judgment of God. Uh, John 2, 15 through 17 Someone can look up John 2, 15 through 17 really quick.
1: And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me.
3: So what's going on in this passage?
1: Christ is overcome with
2: emotions about how the temple is being used. It's been,
0: speaking of pollution, it's been polluted, right? Um, this is his father's house. It should be a holy place, a sacred place. And he has zeal for it. And there's a good example of emotions. But what do we often get angry about? I'm, I'm sure you have many answers that you can untill your tongue, but we'll go look at one from the Bible real quick. Second Samuel 6, verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. And and when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, this is speaking about when they're bringing the ark back. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry. Is he angry at the same thing God is angry at? No. Because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. Um, God has zeal for his his holiness, right? His holy habitation, the temple. In earthly sense. Um, And also the ark. Which contained the law, among other things. And it was holy. And Uzzah was reaching out for it. With his unclean hands. And... He was keeping it holy, and we get angry. <laughs> and David got angry, as we often do when God uh, when God acts in ways that we don't like, because it, it it messes with our pet sins or whatever. A lot of times we don't like that. We get angry at that instead of being having an, a zeal for His holiness. Um, Dr. Proxel mentions other things. You know, there's joy that God's people feel when they're delivered. That's a good thing from the schemes of evil men. But then there's the wicked joy of those who fought the demise of God's people. We see this in the Psalms, especially, but also in Exodus, um, Esther, uh, with Naaman. Philippians 3:19. We already looked at that. They glory in their shame. We'll just take, I'll just take the last couple of minutes and we'll talk a little, I kind of mentioned some of this already, but we'll talk a little bit more about how these things connect together. Because we are dividing up the heart, but there's a sense where our heart is still all connected. And we see this horribly, wonderfully in Romans 1. I'm just going to read real quick, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We see the mind involved here. That section of the heart. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It's just a complete takeover by sin with the mind. But that's not all. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. You see the uh, uncleanliness here, right? To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the new penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit maliciousness, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree, righteous decree, that those who practice such things (coughs) deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them.
3: This
0: is just... uh, It's, again, one of those great passages that speaks about how sin affects us in the Bible. Um, And there is a sense where we still struggle with some of these things, but we'll talk, again, we'll talk next week about how God is redeeming our desires. But it's all connected there. Um, They suppress the truth and righteousness. God gives them up to their desires. And then as they give into those desires, even more so, they're suppressing the truth. They're, they're, they're giving into absolute foolishness. Uh, things that are destroying themselves. Uh, and this is where we all are without the grace of God. Um, a deviant heart is a devious heart, Dr. Troxel says. When the heart is fixated on its chosen object, doesn't have eyes for anything else and it won't listen to common sense. It is a heart that needs to be washed clean. Its desires need to be straightened out It needs a priest who can redeem and renew. So, Lord willing, Chris will be back next week to teach on that. Thank you for putting up with me, and uh, I'll go ahead. Unless there's any questions, I'll go ahead and close in prayer.
3: Oh
0: Lord. Our hearts are desperately wicked. They're deceitful but Lord, uh, you gave us desires and meant to be a good thing, and yet we have twisted it. we become corrupt. So that we uh, desire things that cannot fulfill that lead to destruction. But Lord, you are a God who is rich in mercy. And we thank you that you have given us new hearts in every capacity, Lord. The mind, the desires, and the will. And uh, we thank you that we can uh, now um, join together in worship um, and that you've given us this day to come before you with the foundation. Pray in Jesus' name.